said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with your fathers, our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. Then in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. This is God's word. We've seen uh, a pattern in the book of Acts, right? We've seen this pattern of, of blessing of the word going forth and then opposition to it. The word goes forth, Christ's word goes forth, then the opposition to it. The message of the gospel goes forth, then the opposition to it. And, and we're seeing this go back and forth. It's a remarkable pattern. And so we saw, I'm just going to rehearse some of this with you. We saw it begin really with the, the tongues of fire when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. And the, the tongues of fire, and they began to speak in other languages, pro, really proclaiming the glories of God, okay, which is the gospel. Okay, so they're proclaiming that, and what happens immediately? They were accused of being drunkards, right? Opposition right away, this can't be God, this must be a bunch of drunkards. No, it's the gospel being proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so <laughs> Peter then preaches his famous sermon that at Pentecost, and 3,000 were saved, and it was awesome, and there was a fellowship, and there was breaking of bread, and there was all sorts of things that happened following that, just blessing, right? The word of God was going out, right? Um, we see James and Peter, uh, or Peter and John, sorry, they, they go to this guy at the gate of the temple, and he's lame, been there for 40 years. They raise him up. God uses them to raise this man, and he strengthens his legs, and there's this... Com- turmoil everybody gathers like wow what a miracle this guy could never walk that's the guy that was at the gate all these years he can walk now what is happening this is a miracle peter sees an opportunity to preach preaches again right away opposition right the religious authorities come in they don't like what peter's saying they don't like all of this commotion right right away they get mad Opposition, right? And what happens? Peter, Peter then preaches to the Sadducees, right? To the council, right? He tells them the gospel, right? And then they have this period, they're released, and they have this, the church has a period of flourishing again, you know? They had all things in common. It said they, they were of one, of one of heart. I mean, so again, there was flourishing, 
and, they, and then we uh, in, uh, enters uh, Ananias and Sapphira, right? And we remember what happened with that, right? They tried to deceive the church into thinking they were something that they were not, right? And they dropped dead as a result of it. And what happened after that? A period of flourishing. Many signs and wonders and were regularly done among them. It says the word went forth, right? And what happens next? The next thing, it's just back and forth. The Sadducees, filled with jealousy, right? They come in, and they want, they want a piece of the action. They want to know what's going on here. They want to see why there's all these people gathering and, and leaving their particular control and faith and moving on. And so there was a jealousy. Of course, they arrest Peter and John. They throw them in prison. And what is the result of that? They, Peter gets to preach to them again. Right? And what does he say? Ultimately, he says, we must obey God rather than man. The word went forth again. Okay? And the, word, and the word's going forth, and things are flourishing. And next we hear a complaint among the Greek, uh, Greeks who, who had widows who were not being cared for. And so this complaint arises. And again, opposition to the gospel. Why do we say that's an opposition to the gospel? All complaints aren't necessarily that, but this one in particular was that because it challenged the, the apostles to stop preaching the gospel and tend to the needs of these widows. And they said, hmm, we, we shouldn't be doing that. We can't neglect the word of God. We can't neglect the, the spreading of the gospel. We will assign deacons. And so we found that that was the, the first deacon board that, that, that was established. And, uh, and they... And they began to flourish again. And instantly, there was this flourishing in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It said, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see all it's, go, it's cutting across all levels. We see people coming to faith. The word of God was increasing. It's a wonderful place to be. You want to be a part of that. The word is going forth. And so... Just pausing there, this is a pattern that we see in our own lives. I think you do. I know, I do. I mean, and so this is why I want to say this is important for us to notice these patterns in Scripture. It's important for us to see that people groups go through this. Even the Israelites, we're going to see how they're going through it. We're going to see how the, the early church went through it. We're going to see how we fit in here so easily. And, and you know what that is. It's, it's those hot and cold times that we have, right? I mean, everybody has them, I think. I mean, if you're weird, you don't have them. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you, or just maybe you're cold all the time. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. But I hope not. I hope you're hot all the time. And so there are times you feel very close to the Lord. And, and you feel like he's talking to you all the time, every moment of the day. And you feel like he's right there with you. He's your best friend. And, you, and you're just like, this is great. I love this relationship I have with my best friend and Lord and Savior. And, and, and then other times it's like, Lord, where are you? Where, you know, the, there's about a granite ceiling right here. And it, your prayers are just bouncing off of that. And, and you have no idea where he is. And you're lost. And there's a struggle. And he's a million miles away. 
or you so you think. And this passage of scripture that we're going to look at tells us the reason for the opposition and the reason why these things happen. And so it's important. This pattern's nothing new. Um, I don't want us to make the mistake that the religious leaders did, though. So we'll see what they did. So with these kind of preliminary words, I mean, I I want us to make sense of, of this. And I want us to see this is really all about pointing us to listen to Jesus. Here's why I say this. Um, Let's begin with the first point, which is really just his defense. We're talking about Stephen, the first deacon, who now has to make a defense for for him preaching, for his actions, for what he's been doing, okay? Um, Why is that happening? Well, the word was going forth. We're in in, um, Acts chapter 6. We just read that the word was, of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Even the priests were coming in and becoming obedient. So this is just the church is flourishing. And then verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, now he's one of the deacons, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen is just, he's just serving He's serving with all his might, and great things are happening, okay? And right away, what happens? Opposition. You got to see it. It's coming. Opposition. And so in verse 9, it says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from uh, Cilicia, and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So these guys rose up. They said, what you're saying isn't true. And Stephen's like, let me tell you. Let me tell you the way it is. Proof, proof, proof. And, and it says, verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. Okay? He was just blasting them in a loving way. And, and they secretly... <laughs> so they go away. Their pride's hurt, of course. They go away, secretly instigate men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Right? So if you can't beat them with their argument, right, then lie. You know, beat them with a lie, you know, or attack their character, you know, or something. Just say they're bad. You're just bad. You know, I mean, that's what they're doing here. Verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council and they set up false witness who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And, And so Stephen, here's Stephen. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. He had utter confidence. He was just going, I just love you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to love you. I am going to love you no matter what. I mean, he just had it, the face of an angel. Um, by the way, where did Luke get this? I, this, was, this? This is what blows me away. We'll get into this later, but 
I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Scholars think that Luke got this whole speech of Stephen from Saul, who became Paul, the apostle. Because he was there. He heard it. He remembered it. And he saw Stephen with a face like an angel. And he communicated that to Luke, who wrote this for us. Just saying, it's real. Stephen is, is, is brilliant. His face is beaming with the gospel of God's grace. And he's standing before this council. Now this, remember, is like the Supreme Court. Right? These are men in robes. These are big shots. These are highly educated, the most educated people in the land. And they're there sitting on this council, right? And he has to give an, a, an account. He has, to, he has to defend himself against two things, really against the fact that, or they were saying the fact that he was blaspheming against Moses, that he was teaching customs contrary to Moses. He was against Moses. And second, that he was against the temple, right? He destroys both of those arguments in this chapter, by the way, and he completely takes apart why. And so, so he's standing there before this council um, making a defense against those two things, really. And he begins with the history of Israel. He goes back because he knows, he knows his audience. He knows who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish men, men familiar. So he starts with our father Abraham, the father of our faith. And, and he goes back and he just begins to talk about Abraham in a foreign land and hearing the voice of the Lord, which then called him out of the earth Chaldeans and brought him into what is now the promised land, right? Brought him in, didn't give him the land though, right? Didn't, didn't, he didn't possess it. He just, they just brought him in there. And so the point that he was making there was that Abraham heard from God even while he was in a foreign land. Even while a pagan in a foreign land. Verse, um, Hebrews eleven eight says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a, to a place that he was to receive an inher- as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Then Stephen moves on in his argument to this council. And he says... He talks about Joseph, and he gives a, a true account of Joseph. So, so he's already, he's kind of spanning, right? Because he's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Then Jacob had 12 sons, and jo- Joseph's in there, okay, in that group. And why would he bring up Joseph? Because he's kind of the, the bookend, right? He's at, the, go to the end of Genesis, you'll see Joseph there, and it's all about his life and the picture of Joseph. And what, is he, what does he want to bring out? He wants to bring out that Joseph heard from God. Joseph was the guy that was in communication with God. It wasn't Jacob or his sons. It wasn't Isaac or his sons. It wasn't, it wasn't anybody else. It was Joseph heard from God. And he said, you remember at the end of the book, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. You know, this was the story. And so they rem- he's bringing up the fact that Joseph was the guy that heard. He, he interpreted, he saved them. If you know that story, he went to 
he went in slavery. His brother sold him into slavery. Okay, and they rejected him, pushed him out, sent him um, with the Ishmaelites. They sold him. He went in Potiphar's house, got arrested, blah, 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 and spent time in jail. Well, what happened? God raised him out of there, gave him interpretation of a dream. He interpreted it for Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, you're a wise guy, and I'm going to put you in charge of my whole place. And so he's the prime minister of Egypt now. And this is years later. His family, his family comes looking for food. They can't find food. There's a famine. But Egypt has stored up the food, right? Because Joseph heard from God and prepared Egypt to store the store it up, store it up. And they did. And so now everybody in the world's coming to them to buy. And so he heard from God. That's the point. He's hearing, he's listening, obeying God. Then he moves on to Moses. He's still the same thing, right? Well, Moses was an outstanding man. He, he, but what did he do? He, 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 he grew up in a time, right? After Joseph, there was this 400 years of slavery in Egypt where the people of God became slaves. And it got so bad that the Pharaoh didn't remember who these Jews were. He just knew they were taking over the place like ants. And so he wanted to cut off the growth of this Jewish population, this Hebrew population. So he, he had every, uh, those, those born, those male child slain. And Moses was in that group. And his mom set him afloat on the river. And he went out. And Pharaoh's daughter happened to be bathing down the river. Saw Moses floating by, grabbed him, and then raised him as her, his, as her own. And so now Moses is educated with the best education, knows all the customs of Egypt, looks like an Egyptian, but he grows, he lives that way until he's 40 years old. And then it says, it says that the Lord put it in his heart, which I, I thought was an interesting way to, to phrase it. Um, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brother's the children of Israel. So, so Moses, growing up in Pharaoh's house, decides, I want to go out and be with my people, my blood. You know, and, and he goes out there and he finds, uh, he finds a, an, a, an Egyptian beating up on an Israelite and he, and he happens to kill the Egyptian. Uh, and he's, he's furious that this Egyptian would be doing that. And so, and then he buries his body. Well, the next day he comes back and he sees two Israelites fighting. He says, why are you fighting your brothers? And he goes, what, what do you have to do with us? You know, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So the word got out. He was found out that he uh, had killed. And so he fled. And he, li- and he goes and he lives in Midian, another land, for 40 years. Right? Tens flocks. He's just kind of hiding in Midian. Midian. And... He raised a couple of kids, and uh, one day he's out pushing around some flocks, and he sees a bush burning. And he goes, what's that? That's weird. Comes over to it. It's God speaking to him. He heard God. And, and he heard from God. And, and so that's the point. He's, he's hearing from God. God said, go, you know, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the story goes on, right? And so that's the point that... Uh, 
Stephen is making before this council is that these people all along heard from God. Abraham heard from God. Joseph heard from God. Moses heard from God. And even David, he brings up David because David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, not you. Your son's going to build it. So he, but he heard from the Lord, okay? And, and so that's the whole defense of, of Stephen. He's saying over and over and over, they're listening to God. And the implication is, you guys aren't listening to God. That's what he means by all this. He's, he's talking to this council. You're not hearing God. You're not seeing the pattern. You're not seeing what God has been doing through history. You have no idea. <laughs> um, you, know, you don't know what made all these people great. The thing that made them great was they heard from God. You know, and, and I want to tell you, we're going to jump to the end here in a minute, but you can hear from God. Let me just plant that seed in you. You can hear from God. It's, it's right here. It's written down. But there are times when things just go bam and hit you. Okay? Like, like that scripture we read from 2 Corinthians where he said, and God is able. Right? God is able. Does that just hit you right in the forehead and go, wow, God is able? I've been depending on me all this time. You mean God is able? And so things like that will jump at you if you are in this word. Because it's God saying, I want to I increase your faith. I want to help you love me more. I want to help you trust me more. Yes, I am able. And so that's the way it works. And so Stephen was out to show the Sanhedrin, this, this group of Sadducees, this whole council, that their whole trouble <laughs> was that they didn't hear from God. They were failing to hear from God. And so point two is their rejection. Because look, what, there's something important. that he's, he's trying to tell them something here in all of this, right? They're not hearing from God, but there's something else. There's, you don't see it until you see their radical rejection and their, and their utter fury against Stephen. You know, you, you, won't, you can't really match it. I mean, why would they get so bent out of shape that they would plug their ears and scream and run at him and then cast him out, out and throw rocks on him? I mean, that's amazing, Okay, that he, they would have that reaction. These are dignified men. These men don't do like that. They don't get their skirts dirty. And they did in this case, big time. And so verse 37 gives us a clue. It says, he says, this Moses is the, is, is who, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Okay? But you know what? Stephen doesn't finish the quote. I think it's really intentional. Because those council members are finishing the quote in their head. Because <laughs> the quote is this from Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. They're, they're filling that in. Okay? 
that's, that's, the, that's the, re, the recording in their little head, okay? And here's the point of, of, of uh, Stephen's speech. Abraham listened. Joseph listened. Moses listened. David listened. But you, Sanhedrin, you're not listening. <laughs> that's his point. And, and to say it another way, Stephen was showing this pattern, okay, of rejecting the word of God throughout the history of Israel. They're rejecting the word of God. You rejected Joseph, for instance, when he was the one who heard God's message and God's word. You rejected Moses, right? Who made, they said, who made you ruler and judge over us, right? Yet he had the word of God. They rejected him. They wanted to leave him in the wilderness and go back to Egypt, right? I mean, over and over. And so Stephen is answering the charge against him. He's not blaspheming uh, Moses, he, matter of fact, he's the only one listening to Moses. The Sanhedrin, the council's not listening. They're the ones that are blaspheming. They're the ones that are doing their own thing. They're the ones that aren't really following the word of the Lord. You, Sanhedrin, you're not listening. <laughs> and the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. There's an implication here. There's someone they're not listening to. And who is this prophet like me, like Moses? Who's the prophet? It's clearly Jesus. It's clearly Jesus. You know, uh, this was Stephen's, uh, you know, this was his point, right? Uh, He's on trial. This is why he's on trial. Um, this is why the forces of hell are arrayed against him, frankly. It's why there's so much opposition. It's the only explanation as to why they reacted the way they reacted. And look at, you know, I think Stephen really heaps it on here um, at the end because he knows he's doomed. Uh, I, I think he feels it. I mean, he's, he, in verse 51, he says, he calls them, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears. I mean, I'm pretty sure that it was hard uh, for them to hear. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. I mean, he's just rehearsing the history, right? And he's just saying, this is what you guys do all the time, you know? And, and, and he says, then he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And then he says, and they killed the one who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. They killed all the prophets that said, the Messiah's kind of come. They, they killed those guys, okay? Whom you, and now they, he calls Jesus the righteous one, by the way. It's capital righteous one, righteous one, okay? Whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So <laughs> he says, you guys betrayed him and you guys murdered him. The very one that was announced by the prophets who you killed and murdered. Okay, so you guys are a bunch of stiff-necked, uncircumcised, always resisting the Holy Spirit, murderers, okay? And so, and, and then he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it, okay? So, oh, the angels gave us this law. Look, we, we study it. We live by No, we don't live by it. We murder. We kill. We have our own way. And then verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Do you think so? (laughs) 
And they ground their teeth out. Remember? Have you grind? You've been so mad you grind your teeth. You know? I mean, it's that kind of thing. Okay? And, but he, meaning Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, right? And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That had to be the last gig because, you know, Jesus is standing. The guy they killed, right, he rose from the dead, and he's standing there at the right hand of God, which makes him equal to God. And that, that, that was like the last straw. They just had to, they just had to, at that point, it says they cried out with a loud voice, like a little two-year-old, right? They stopped up their ears, la, 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 until they get close enough to him to choke him and drag him out, and then he rocks on them. I mean, that wasn't the fun part, I'm sure. Um, that's, how, that's how angry they were. <laughs> Their rejection is utterly clear, isn't it? They can't stand to hear the gospel. They can't stand hearing the truth. It's the whole reason Stephen was on trial. He was preaching that Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, Savior of the world, is risen and lives today. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. Right? Um, this was the message of the early preachers and apostles and others. But the members of the council did not believe it. They refused to believe it. Um, and basically Stephen's saying, look, you know, you can... Uh, can, he, can he says, can you not see that by not believing in Jesus of Nazareth... You're rejecting the teaching of Moses. That's basically what he's saying. You know, you're rejecting because the pattern is this. The prophet spoke of it. Moses even said, this prophet like me is going to come from your brothers and, and that you ought to listen to him. But you didn't. What did you do? You killed him. Okay. Um, but he didn't stay in the grave. And that's the beauty of it, right? So let me, let me just go to the next point, and then we'll close. Uh, you know, this is our reassurance, folks. Um, and I want to end this way. Stephen's preaching that Jesus is the prophet that Moses said would come after him and, and that we're to listen to him. And so uh, the, the obvious question is, are you listening to him? Are you listening to him? We're to listen to Jesus. You know, this is the very heart of the Christian message, isn't it? The purpose of even Christian preaching is to call men and women back to listen to the Lord Jesus. Right? That, that's why we come here. I mean, we come here to hear that we ought to listen to him. And so you come here to hear him, essentially. You don't come here to hear me. I am not very entertaining. I don't bounce on trampolines and fall on stage. I don't know if you saw that on uh, recent news. A pastor up in Boston. This, um, <laughs> it's just, okay, so he puts a trampoline on stage, right? And he has a hurdle, and he's talking about how God helps us over hurdles. Okay, and, and he steps over the hurdle most hurdles, you know, there's hurdles that we can step over, 
And, and he's preaching and teaching. And he said, but eventually there comes a hurdle you cannot get over. And you need God's help. This is his, this is his point. So he has a little mini tramp and he runs and he hits that trampoline. Whoo! And he falls right on his, and he falls right on his head. Okay? Yeah. And he's laying there and everybody gasps and he rolls over and he goes, the righteous man won't stay down, you know, and he gets back up and keeps preaching. You know, it's pretty hilarious, I, I think. But um, that is exactly what would happen to me if I put a tramp up here and tried to, you know, do that kind of thing. I've often thought, yes, that would be so much fun and you guys would laugh your faces off at me. Um, <laughs> But, the point is, I don't know why I diversed in, uh, digressed into that, but um, I'm not entertaining, but I also want to tell you, um, we can do nothing apart from God, right? Um, we can't do a thing without Him. We think we can go over small hurdles, even the small ones. There's nothing that we can't, we can't take our next breath. Let me just reassure you, you cannot take your next breath without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in you. And so we trust him for everything, even the small hurdles and so on. Um, we're, I'm to call you back to listen to him. That's what, that's what we gather for. Um, um, Why did they reject Jesus, the message? Why did they reject what Stephen was saying? Um, it didn't fit their view of life, right? I mean, why do even religious people reject the teaching of Scripture? It doesn't fit their view of life. And, and, and by, because by nature, we are rebellious people. We, we want to seek to go our own way. You know, Isaiah said it famously in Isaiah 53, 6. We all like... Sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you know that Jesus Christ took our iniquity? He took our sin. The Lord laid it upon him, even though we want to go our own way all the time. Um, let me just give you a, free, a few reasons why we should listen to him, and then we'll close. So first of all, Abraham listened to him. We know Abraham did this, right? Abraham rejoiced. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And Jesus was arguing with some, some religious leaders. And so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you, have you seen G, uh, Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Right? So why do we listen to Jesus? Before Abraham was. Okay, Isaiah said this. Why should, why should we listen to him? Okay, Isaiah said, who, who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, who's believing? No, nobody's believing what they've heard from us, meaning us prophets. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus 
um, that's the one we're to hear from. That's the one we're to believe in. Um, but there's a stronger reason, I think. And I, I think it's Jesus' invitation to me and to you. You see, he, he said in Matthew, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We come to him for that. We listen to him for that. Why do we listen to him? Because he invites us to. He invites us to come to him. That's my encouragement to you. Come to him. Um, why does Moses tell us to listen to him? Because Jesus can stand on a shoreline and say to some fishermen, follow me, and they do. I mean, these are examples that we have, right? I mean, he literally says to these fishermen, drop your nets and follow me, and what do they do? They drop their nets and they leave at once. They, they follow him. And he stands up one day and says, I am the light of the world. Now, who says that unless you're crazy? Or you are the light of the world, okay? And so in a troubled world, in darkness, in ignorance, in failure, he stands and he says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Isn't this what we need? This is, this is what we need to hear. Listening to him say, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. This is why I listen to him. He says stuff like this. Follow me. I'll lead you to truth. I'll bring you home. I'll bring you peace. That's what God does. And, and this is the point. And the position which Stephen find, finds himself. Should you or should you not listen to Jesus? That's the big question, right? That's the one he presents to this, this council. Should you listen to him? You know, I listen to him, and this is just my last example, really. It's because one day he brought Peter, James, and John with him on, on a mountain. <laughs> and suddenly, a cloud came around them. Now, that's not unusual if you've been on mountains and hikes and things. The clouds can sometimes come in on you. But then when you hear out of the cloud, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And you look at one of the guys hiking with you, and his garments are literally glowing. Okay? That never happened to me. But that happened to them. And I want to listen to the guy that the voice said to listen to. Okay? That's, that's just another reason. That's another reason. Well, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I mean, all over Scripture, I have come. Thief kill, the thief comes only to steal and destroy, kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And, you know, why listen to him? He was born different than you and I. He wasn't born in a natural way. <laughs> he was born of a virgin. He didn't have an earthly father. I mean, this is a mystery. It's a, it's a miracle, you know, and, it's a, it's a, and we should marvel at this kind of a birth. I listened to him because of the way he faced his own death. Right? He, he knew what he was walking into. He knew, he knew, <laughs> he knew from before the foundation of the world, if we really want to look at it this way, he knew before the foundation of the world that the world would need to be redeemed and it would need a redeemer and that he would be that redeemer. And he's orchestrated very sovereignly, providentially, orchestrated all things to work in this way that he would come in this way in a manger right as a baby and grow as a sinless man and then preach just for three years that's all he did he gathered 12 guys and he preached to them for three years walked around taught them and then he faced the cross and he went to the cross uh he went to the cross after the garden. Do you remember the garden? Do you see him in the garden just sweating great drops of blood? Just sweating blood, literally, because he was going to take upon himself the sins of the world, the punishment for the sins of humanity, of those whom he were dying for. And he says, all things are possible. Take this cup. Not my will, but thy will. Do you see him say that? Okay, and then you have to be driven to, okay, I'll, this is the guy I want to listen to because he went to the cross with that in mind, and, but he didn't stay there. And this is the beauty of all the New Testament teaching. This is the beauty of what we should be teaching all the time because he didn't, didn't stay there. You know, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, by the way. Every Sunday is the Sunday that we celebrate the fact that our, we have a Savior that is living, that he didn't stay in the grave. He, he rose from the grave, okay? His body didn't stay there, right? He came out of that tomb, and proof is here. Stephen sees him standing next to God. That had to be just tormenting the, the Sanhedrin council because they... They knew they had killed him. They were the guys that put him to death. They were the guys that saw him die and said, good riddance, got rid of that guy. No, they didn't. He's back. <laughs> and Stephen's pointing to him. And last thing, and we'll close. Why was Jesus standing next to God and not seating? Seated, seated next to him. See, because every other place he sits. And yet here in this scenario, we have some insight from Stephen. He sees the heavens open up and it's Jesus standing. And, and scholars have kicked this around, but, but the best explanation really that I, that I have come across is that Jesus is standing as the advocate for Stephen. <laughs> 
in that moment. He's his advocate. And he's standing there saying, that's mine. Father, that's mine. And in some ways, he was cheering him on. Because Stephen was doing the very thing that he was called to do. Even facing death. The way he did. So, let's pray. Father, what a sobering passage that we are to proclaim you even in the face of uh, unsurmountable odds in, in the face of of this unbelief that comes through a counsel such as this Stephen faced it and he faced it with courage he faced it with the truth of the gospel and he did not hold it against them he stood there and he said, you, he saw you and he told them, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the father. And then at the end, he prayed, father, don't hold this against them. Holding no grudge, he went to his death, an unjust death, because that was against the law of Moses, what they did to him. It was against all truth, and yet they killed him. But you said, Father, that we would not be treated any better than you were treated. And so when we're discouraged and feel run down, it's not going to be like just Stephen, not nearly what he faced, and we know this. So we take courage. Lord, I pray you that you would encourage your people. Grant faith and repentance this morning as we see more of who you are. May you be blessed in all of this. In Christ's name, amen.